Well, good evening. Great to see you. Good to hear my favorite service Saturday night. Awesome. I would like to welcome my granddaughter tonight. Three months old, first time in church ever. Uh, so I don't know if she's in the back or in the, in the, uh, the, the infant care room, but uh, welcome, Desha. I love you. So, uh, all right, uh, let's see what else we got going. I, it's funny when Neil was talking about the water fast, uh, I still remember the very first year we did this, that uh, one guy called me like on two, emailed me and said, like, I'm getting really hungry. It's like, are you sure it's just water? Are you sure it's just water all week? I, I want to make sure. And it's like, no, no, no. You can eat what you want. It's the beverage is part of this. And so we call it a water fast. It's really not a water fast. It's a beverage fast. But I just like the name water fast. Sounds much better than beverage fast. So uh, anyway, just, if you're new, I just don't want you starving that whole week. Uh, and then come and find out we've all been eating great the whole week long. Uh, so anyway, uh, good to see you. My name's Mike, and I too am one of the pastors. And so if it's your very first time, uh, I also want to welcome you. We're going to go to a time of teaching right now. And so inside your program, our, uh, there's a note sheet is green and white. And if you guys are ready to, to run and roll, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right. God, we're, God, we're just excited to be here. And we just, we just love you. And this, uh, this vision you have for our life, this incredible God, he's called us to himself to be part of this epic plan. We are just so grateful. God, we just, we just acknowledge that anything good that comes from us is coming from you. You are the source of all this good and right and true. And, and so we are excited to be here, just take a next step in this journey. God, be with me. Help me to be clear. Be with all of us. We have ears to hear, hearts to respond, and quick to obey. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this journey that we've been on uh, in this series called Epic Living the Vision. And for those of you who are brand new, this is actually the second, uh, second series in a two-part series that's based on a study of a letter from the New Testament from a man named the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's writing to some group of Jesus followers that uh, it's about 30 years after the, the resurrection of Jesus. They're, uh, they're located in an area called Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, um, the city of Ephesus, big, a quarter of a million people. And so uh, in, his, in, in his letter, the, the first vision, I mean, the first series we did was called Epic the Vision, Paul lays out in the first three chapters of Ephesians this, this epic vision that God has. And he says, when you come to Jesus, we find out that we have been chosen literally before time began to be part of this epic mission to bring all of creation, uh, to bring it back under the leadership of King Jesus, to see it healed and restored. Uh, and so we all have a part to play in that, important part to play. And then in the second, in the second uh, series, which is the second half of the letter, uh, Paul starts to get really practical, and he says, let's, let's talk about what does it look out to, like to live out that epic vision in everyday life. And so if you're here last week, we launched into a new section of Ephesians. It starts at chapter 4 and verse 17. It goes all the way through chapter 5 and verse 2. So if you're here last week, what Paul said is we come to Jesus that if we want to experience this epic vision, that we have to learn how to rethink our lives in every area that we have to go to school, the school of Jesus. We have to learn how to come under his leadership. We have to put off our old ways of thinking and living, put on new ways, uh, like, a, like old, take off the old clothes, put on the new. Uh, and then as we do this, we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we will become more and more like God. We'll become like the God we are created to be in his image like, and that we, this will be the key to experiencing the vision. And so uh, uh, then what Paul is going to do today is he's going to go on, he's going to give us six examples of what it looks like to put off the old 
and put on the new. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do a quick flyby through this whole section. We're going to go through 425 through 5.2. Look at these six examples very quickly. We're going to come back and lay two foundational principles that are going to carry us through the next uh, seven, eight weeks of teaching uh, other than Easter. And, uh, and then we're going to ask one big question at the end. All right, so there in your note sheet, there's a section called Epic, uh, Putting Off, Putting On. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. If you have your apps, go ahead and turn them on. And we're going to launch in. So here we go. So 425, let's set it up. Uh, Paul said last week, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to leave the way of the Gentiles, fallen world behind. Their darkness, their uh, they, they don't understand what's going on in life. They have this hardness of heart from rejecting what God's doing in their life. And so you're going to have to learn to rethink your whole life, put off the old, put on the new. So here comes this first example, right? Six examples. So 425. He says, therefore, uh, the first thing we're going to put off is falsehood. So he says, the first thing that we're going to take out of our life is we're going to take out deception. We're going to take out lies. We're going to take out hypocrisy. Uh, and he says, instead, we're going we're to put on we're going to speak truthfully to our neighbor, to one another. So we're going to, so we're going to take off deception. We're going to put on truth and honesty. And he said, and the reason is because we're all members of one body. So the question is, what does he mean by that? Well, this goes back to the start of the chapter. Remember at the start of the chapter how it starts off. As Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And as a prisoner, I want to urge you to live lives worthy of your calling. Right? Kind of be who you are. Rise to this epic calling. He said, first step of that is to protect the unity of this new community. So remember, one of the things we learned is when you come to Jesus, it's not just about you and Jesus, this vertical relationship with God. We come to Jesus, we become part of this new community of Christ's followers. We're all organically linked. Remember that? It's like we go online with Jesus. Uh, I have his spirit, you have his spirit. Uh, I'm connected with Jesus online, and because of that, we're all networked to one another. We're part of this new community. And so Paul says, you're a new nation, you're a new race, you're a new temple. You remember all that? And, uh, and he said, and then the, the next analogy is, he said, like you're, you're like a new man. Uh, there was an old man, an old humanity, Adam. Now there's a new humanity, a new man, Christ. Jesus is the head of this body. We're, the, we're, the, we're his body, okay? And so we're all linked together. And so what we do affects one another. What you do affects me. What I do affects you because we're all linked. Like if you stub your toe, your whole body is aware of it. It's not like your toe's like down there going, oh, I'm hurting. I'm like, oh, shut up. We don't care about you. Like uh, if one part hurts, you all hurt, right? You're all linked. And Paul says, hey, we're one body now. And so when you lie to one another, uh, you are hurting the body. Why? Because the basis of relationship is trust, the most foundational issue, uh, element in any healthy relationship is trust. And if there's deception in a relationship, it eats away the trust. And so he says, in this new community, rule number one of put off, we're going to put off lies and deception. We're going to put on uh, truth because truth leads to health in, in the community. All right? And so that's just number one. Now, he goes on to number two. 
His second illustration, that first one I'm calling integrity, and we'll come back next week, and not next week is Easter, but the week after, we'll delve into integrity. What does it look like to live a life of integrity? What's it look like to live a life of, of truth-telling, promise-keeping, value-living-out, you know, no hypocrisy, a life of integrity. So, uh, so that's number one. Number two, second example he's going to give us is anger. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We come into the community of Jesus. We're all Christ's followers. We all have his spirit, but we're all in transition. And as a result, there's going to be times we hurt one another. We're going to let each other down, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And when that happens, we're going to get angry with one another. And so Paul says the second thing, if we're going to build this community of Jesus, is we have to learn to how to deal with anger in appropriate ways so we don't let our anger motive us to strike out and to do destructive things. And so he says, the second example is verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. Of course, we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But he says, in your anger, he says, I, I know you're going to get angry. I know you're going to hurt one another. But when you're angry, uh, don't strike out and respond in destructive ways. Don't sin. And uh, he says, in fact, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with your anger quickly. Because if you don't, it will fester. It will lead to other negative things. And he says, uh, do not give the devil a foothold. He said, when you, when, you have a, uh, when you have anger in your heart towards another person, if you don't move towards it, either to move towards it and resolve it or to forgive it and let it go, he said, what happens, you might as well invite Satan to have a seat at the table. That place, that, where, that word in Greek where it says Satan has a foothold, the word in Greek is a place. So like in your marriage, if there's an issue and there's anger and you don't work it through, you might as well say, Satan, we'd like you to come and have a place at our table. If you're, if you're in a parenting relationship and there's unresolved anger with your kids, if you have friends, there's unresolved anger. If you're in a ministry team, there's unresolved anger. You might as well say, hey, Satan, here, why don't you just pull up a place right here? You just sit right here, right in the middle of our relationship. So Paul says if we're going to build a new community, if we're going to live epic lives, we have to learn how to deal with anger. So that'll be one of our weeks. Number three, third example. This is fascinating. Uh, verse 28 says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. They're writing to Christ followers, but they've come out of a pagan past. Many were criminals. You're following Jesus now. We don't steal anymore. All right? So we're going to leave the life of crime behind. That's what we're going to put off. We're going to put off the life of crime. And he says, what are we going to put on instead? Well, he says, we're going to put on uh, work. We're going to learn how to work. We're going to learn how to work hard. He says, he must work doing something useful with his hands. So something that will build up the, the, the common good. We're not going to work for the porn industry. We're not going to work for, uh, we're not going to work for uh, mafia. You know, something that's good. Um, something useful, and he says that, and, but this, catch the motivation, this is, this is fascinating, not only says we're going to stop stealing, we're going to start working, but look at the motivation, that he may have something to share with those in need, so catch what he says, he says, you're followers of Jesus now, your whole approach to work and finance is going to change, he says what we're going to put off is we're going to put off stealing, so he says you used to steal to live, he said I want you to work to live. 
In fact, I want you to work to give. So in, the, in the body of Christ, there's going to be people at times that can't support themselves. There's going to be people at times that are going through health issues. They can't work or whatever. They can't find a job. We're doing legitimate things. And he says, one of the reasons we work is so we have the resources to support one another during hard times. A whole different approach to finances and relationship. We'll spend a week on work and generosity. Number four, he deals with the power of words. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk. In the Greek, it literally says rotten talk, like, like fruit that's going bad. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So he says, fourth example is that you're followers of Jesus. Now, words are powerful. Words can build up. Words can tear down. Before you came to Jesus, you used your words in ways that tore people down. Now we want to learn to use this God-given ability to speak life and to speak uh, healing and strength. We want, to, we want to use our words to build others up. Now the fifth example is going to be a little bit different. I want you to catch the first four have been all horizontal, haven't they? They've all been how we relate to one another. Uh, tell the truth, don't lie, uh, uh, don't steal, uh, you know, control your anger, uh, use your words. But now he's going to go vertical. And, he, and so his fifth one deals with uh, the Holy Spirit. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what's he talking about? Back in chapter one, we talked about this. When you come to Jesus, several things happen. Number one, you're forgiven. Amnesty, all crimes against the king, you receive forgiveness, the death of Christ. Secondly, you're adopted. You become part of God's family. You're a son or daughter. The third thing that happens, though, is that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God comes to live in us. And back in chapter 1, Paul said, the Holy Spirit is like God's seal on your life. Remember that in the old days that they would, in the ancient times, they would put a, like a wax seal or a seal on product saying, this belongs to me. It's my seals on it. And so he said that when we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit uh, is given to us as God's seal. You belong to me. And Paul says that, that the Holy, your experience of the Holy Spirit, his presence, his leading, his guiding, uh, is your guarantee. It's the down payment God is making, promising that one day when Jesus returns, he will redeem you. He will buy you back. He will give you a new body for the new creation. So our experience of the Holy Spirit here and now is our guarantee that everything he promised in the future is real. Follow that? It's powerful. And so Paul says, hey, so remember that. He says, you have the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. He says, so don't, you know, God lives in you now. So don't do things that grieve him. Right. And you say, like, what kind of things? Things like lying to one another. Things like striking out in anger and hurting one another. Things like being lazy things like stealing from other, one another, things like not being generous, things like using our words. Right in the middle of this long line, he just stops and says, hey, uh, remember to protect this relationship with the Holy Spirit. God's in you now. Wherever you go, he goes. He can't get away from you. When you are yelling in anger, when you're striking out to hurt someone, he's there with you. 
And just like with a parent, when you hate it, when your kids are fighting, uh, this grieves him when we are not loving one another and getting along. And so he says, uh, fifth thing is learn to listen and to follow the leading of the Spirit. Sixth thing, number verse 31. He says, next we need to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling. In the Greek, that's more like, um, like verbal brawling. It's more like uh, shouting matches, um, slander, along with every form of malice. He says, we need to, what do we need to put off? We need to put off this deep anger that wants to hurt other people. It may look like bitterness. It may look like anger. It may look like rage. It may look like brawling. It may look like slander or any other kind of malice. But there's something inside of us that we don't like you. We're angry at you. And we want to get you back. And so Paul earlier said, hey, in your anger, don't sin. Here he goes further and says, hey, let's just get rid of those negative emotions because those are going to lead to things that, that kind of violate the law of love. They're going to tear down the body. So we're going to put those off. Well, what do we put on? Well, verse 32, we're going to be kind and compassionate. We're going to be patient with one another. We're going to be kind and compassionate. I'm just going to put that on. We're going to grow in our kindness, grow in our compassion. Um, and we're going to forgive each other as just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so he says, we're going we're we're to put off the anger and bitterness. We're going to put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. So we're going to learn that. And we'll spend uh, two weeks on forgiveness because it's so important and so hard. All right, so, so then Paul's going to wrap it up now. He says, okay, so let's wrap it up. He says, bottom line is I want you to be imitators of God. So remember earlier in this section, we looked at it last week. Paul said you need to rethink your life. You need to put off the old, put on the new. Why? So you can become like God again. That's what you're created for. And that's where he started the, start, the start of this passage. That's where he comes back now. He says, bottom line, we're going to imitate God, therefore, as dearly loved children. You know, my father, you know, just passed away um, about uh, a month ago. And um, I, I remember when I was in fifth grade that I had to get glasses. Um, I remember I was playing, the way I described it, we were, I was playing Little League Baseball, and I just, my hitting had gone downhill. And so we had my uncle, who was a good athlete, and uh, he came, and he said, Mike, what you need to do is you just, when the, when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, you never take your eye off the ball. And I said, like, what ball? Uh, <laughs> He said, like, when it leaves his hand, I, I, I can't see his hand. Like, what, you know, so that's what they found out. I just really, like, you know, fifth grade, 2,200 vision, right? So now it's like 22 uh, million. But uh, anyway, so fifth grade, like, who wants to get glasses in fifth grade? Like, it's nerdy, right? You don't need glasses. But can I tell you something? I was so proud when I got my glasses because I looked just like my dad. My dad, and I just looked just like him. I mean, I got glasses just like him. I look like a little Larry Yearly, right? <laughs> and I, I love that. I love looking like my dad. And what Paul is saying is, hey, you know what? You've been adopted. You've been taken off the streets. You've got a new father. And look what he says about this father. He says, uh, the imitators of God is dearly loved children. Do you, you get that? Do you, do you understand this? How deeply you are loved as a follower of Jesus, you're his child, and you are dearly loved. And so he says, hey, bottom line this, 
We, the goal is to grow up and be like a father. And, and he says, uh, and verse 2, and live a life of love. That's what it looks like. Uh, just as Christ loved us. So imitate your father who loves you. Imitate your big brother who is our ultimate model. Uh, he loved us. He says he lived a life of love. And of course, Jesus, his whole life was a life of love. But the, the highest expression of that love was when he gave us his life for us. Uh, this prisoner swap. His life for our life, right? Taking our sentence, why? So we could be forgiven and adopted and become part of the family. And so he says, Jesus is the model. And he says, I live a life of lovers too, just as Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. So in the Old Testament, when the sacrifices would be offered to God, they would have this fragrant barbecue smell, right? And, uh, you know, cooking meat. And it was fragrant. And it was just like, I just love that, right? Just like, I love that. Summer night, driving home, get home, and it's like someone's barbecuing. It's like awesome. And he says that that act of love that Jesus gave was just something really pleasing to his father, that love. And he says, so he says, let your life be like that. Like your life create this fragrant aroma to God as you, as you lay down your life for one another. All right, so that's the passage. So, so let me step back from it, 417 to 52. Let me give you the big flow, all right? So 417, he says, hey, you're, you're followers of Jesus now. That means we're not going to be like living like the Gentiles. They don't know what's going on. They're living in darkness. They, they, they don't know which end is up. And they're, they're living futile lives. And so he says, so what, what needs to happen is you need to rethink the way you do your whole life. You need to go to the school of Jesus, come under his leadership, let him teach you. And as you, he'll teach you what to put off and put on, like old, like old clothing, take it off, new clothing, put it on. And as you do that, you'll be transformed by the renewing your mind to be like God again so you can live this epic life. Let me give you six examples. Gives us the six examples. And then, he, and then he wraps it up by saying, so bottom line, we're gonna imitate our father who loves you, has adopted you, and we're gonna be like our big brother who lived out this life of love, all right? So that, that's the flow, and we're gonna be there for eight weeks, right? So, all right, so here's what we're gonna do. Today, what I wanna do in the time that we have is I wanna highlight two big picture principles that are critical for us to understand if we're gonna follow Jesus well, live out this epic life, and then come back one important question at the end. So there in your note sheet, you have a section, called Epic, the life of love. And so here we go. The first principle cannot overstate this. Uh, it's going to surprise some of you. Some of you are going to say, I'm not even sure that's true. Uh, that's fine. I just want you to think it through. I think by the time we're done, you'll see it is true. But uh, it goes like this, that spiritual maturity requires relational maturity. If you want to be spiritually mature, you have to learn how to be relationally mature. Now, you may say, hey, I'm not even sure that's true. I, 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 let me think about that. And that's very fair. And I think the reason it's fair is because we often don't think of it this way. Like this is how most people do Christian life. This is how you come to Jesus, right? You, you come to Jesus and, um, and, and he begins to change your life. And so what often happens is we begin to pursue spiritual pursuits, all right? So we want to grow spiritually, so we begin to, to pursue what we would think of spiritual activities, right? So, so how do you grow? A new person, a Christian, hey, I'm a new Christian. How do I grow? What do we tell them to do? Go to church, right? Uh, read a Bible. That's good, Rich. Uh, read a Bible. Uh, pray. Here's how to pray. 
uh, join a life group, find a place to serve. Here's how to uh, begin to tithe. Right? We begin to teach. We give, here's some spiritual activities. Now catch this. Neon lights, these are all an important part of following Jesus and very much a part. But what we often miss is that spiritual maturity, a, a big part of spiritual maturity is relational maturity. And we don't understand this. And so what happens is that we've come to Jesus, we have been saved, uh, we've started to change, we've done all these pursuit things, we've lived certain major sins left behind, but we still do our relationships in the same old way. And so we still handle conflict the same old way. When we get angry with our wife or our husband, we get angry with friends, we get angry at work, we respond the same old way. We come to our finances or our work, we approach it the same old way. Our words may change because now we've stopped cussing. But other than that, the way we use words, often the same old way. And when it comes to when someone hurts us, cuts us off on the freeway, same old way. And so what happens is we're measuring ourselves with the wrong ruler. And so what happens, we look at ourselves, I'm going to church, I've stopped swearing, I've started giving, I'm serving, I've stopped sleeping around, I think I've got a handle on this thing. I'm becoming spiritually mature. But what I want you to catch is the Apostle Paul says a huge part of spiritual maturity is relational maturity. And you see it in this passage, because I want you to step back with me, and I want you to think of the flow. Let's go with the flow, right? So the flow is, you've come to Jesus, can't be like Gentiles anymore, rethink your life, inner school of Jesus, put off, put on. Let me give you some examples and what we've seen today is five of the six examples do not, do not have anything to do with our vertical relationship with God. They're not reading your Bible. They're not prayer. They're not going to church. They're not. They are horizontal examples. There are things like deal, your integrity. There are things like anger. There are things like words. There are things like generosity towards one another. There are things like forgiveness. Are, are you with me here? Paul says, if you want to live an epic life, you have to rethink all your life. Let me give you some examples, and his examples are relational examples. And this is one of my biggest burdens for the church of Jesus, is that often we love Jesus, but we do our relationships the same old way. And that's why our lives are so often dysfunctional. And here's what I want you to catch. The sad thing about this is much of the New Testament is taught, is, is written to teach us how to do relationships a new way. The information's there, we just have blinders on. And if I could only have one passage in the New Testament to teach on relationships, it would be this one. That's why we're slowing this thing down and we're gonna delve in because it's some great stuff. That Paul's great, great, great topics he's going to bring up, all right? So, uh, great example of this. The church of Corinth. You know, the church of Corinth was, uh, had come to Christ, and 
they saw themselves as spiritually mature. And the reason was two things, really. Number one, Corinth is in Greece, uh, Greece, the home of philosophy. And so they love philosophy, they love theology, they came to Jesus, and they love talking theology. They were like uh, uh, people who just loved arguing over the Bible, right? They loved arguing theology. And so because they saw themselves as spiritually mature, because they were very philosophical, very theological. The second thing was God had, had graced this church with a wide variety of very spectacular spiritual gifts. A lot of tongues, a lot of prophecy, a lot of healings, a lot of miracles. And because of these two things, they saw themselves as spiritually mature. The reality was Paul said they were spiritually immature. And the way he knew is because they did relationships so poorly. So there on your note sheet, there's this passage. I put it from the New Century Version from 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, brothers and sisters, in the past, I could not talk to you as I talked to spiritual people. In other words, uh, people led by the Spirit. He said, I had to talk to you as I would to people without the Spirit. In other words, non-Christians. Babies in Christ. Okay, so, so are you following? They see themselves as spiritually mature. He sees himself as spiritual babies. Why? They're using the wrong ruler to measure their spirituality. And so Paul, well, how does he know they're spiritually mature? He says, you're not spiritual because there is jealousy and quarreling among you. And this shows that you're not spiritual. You're acting like people of the world, you see? And isn't this true? It so often happens in our churches, right? People who love Jesus see themselves as, as you know, really strong Christ followers, and there's church splits all the time, or they're arguing over everything. And in fact, many times, the more people argue, the more spiritual they think they are. Like, they have to get everything right, you know? They meet you, and it's like, oh, you're a Christian, great. Are you uh, reformed? You're a five-point Calvinist? Oh, you're a Christian, that's awesome. Pre-trib? Like, they pull out, they want to know right now, because we need to decide whether we're on the same team. And the irony is, they see themselves as very spiritual, because they're so full of knowledge that uh, I know this stuff. If you don't even know, well, whatever. Right? And so Paul says, hey, there is no such thing as spiritual maturity without relational maturity. And it's one of my biggest burdens for us as a church that we grow in this area. We grow up. Remember last week I talked about harshness? So supposedly a, a believer in Jesus and so harsh. See yourself as mature. It's like, no, 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 you are not spiritually mature. You are a babe. You see? Like if we don't do relationships well, if we don't do conflict well, we don't do anger well, if we're not generous, if we don't use our words to build others up instead of tear down, if we don't know how to forgive, we're babes. We're spiritually mature. You see? There's no spiritual maturity without relational maturity, and that's why we're spending so much time slowing down so much, right? Now, number two. The second thing that jumps out is just so important understanding Paul and understanding following Jesus, understanding epic lifestyle is that 
our core calling as followers of Jesus, our core calling is love. It's our core calling. Um, you know, I, I can imagine someone going to Paul and saying, hey, Paul, I'm a simple guy, right? I'm a simple guy. I, I've come to Jesus. I get what you're saying. We need to rethink everything, enter the school of Jesus, be transformed, change and all, but man, there's so much to remember here, you know? There's so much just putting off, putting on, anger, integrity, giving. I mean, can, can you just bottom line it for me? Can you just give me like one rule, you know, because I'm just a simple guy. This stuff I, I can't remember in the midst of my, my busy life. Paul would say, yes, I can bottom line it for you. One core calling, your calling is to love. In fact, that's exactly what he says here in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He, he goes through this whole explanation, right, of rethinking, uh, school of Jesus, uh, putting off, putting on, being transformed, six illustrations, and then look how he lands the plane. In chapter 5, in verse 1 and 2, he says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, here, here we go, live a life of love. That's it. See, everything he's been talking to us about, it, the anger, the integrity, the finances, the work ethic, the words, it's all, they're all just an illustration of what love looks like. Right? It's like a love love. Now, Paul doesn't create this, doesn't get this on his own. He gets it from Jesus. All right? Remember back when we learned last week that Paul said we have to enter the school of Jesus? Well, this is one of the most profound teachings of Jesus that influenced Paul in all his theology, his whole approach to life, his law of love. And so I, I want to take you back for a couple of minutes to, the, let's go back to school with Jesus. Let's go back to the school of Jesus. What did Jesus teach? Uh, Jesus was once asked, and some of you are familiar with this, some of you are new at this, but Jesus was once asked by a religious expert, uh, Jesus, of all the laws in the, in the Torah, in, in the law of God, so you know, the Torah, first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, called the law, the law of God, the Torah, the, which means Torah means instruction or means law. Um, he says, of, of, there's, of, of all the laws, and the rabbis counted this out, there was 613 of them. Okay? So of the 613, is there one that we just want to make sure we don't break? <laughs> it, like, is there, like, you know, David Letterman, top one. And like, what, like, what is the top law, most important thing? Is there one that kind of rules the rest? And rabbis of his day would often discuss this. And Jesus said, yes, there is. In fact, there's two that are most important. They're very similar. He said they both had to do with love. And so he quotes Deuteronomy 6 for the first one and Leviticus 19 for the second one. So Jesus does the Bible, back of his hand, right? So he quotes them out. And here's, let's, let's read, see what happens. There you know, Chief. Matthew 22 says, uh, one of them, an expert in the law, uh, tested him with this question, said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, well, here it is, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. Heart, soul, mind. This is the first and greatest. Okay, so to catch this. If you have been a longtime follower of Jesus, this verse is one of those that tends to become white noise. So I, I want to land, I want to come back. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, you want to know what God is most important to God, top priority, is your relationship with him. And what's most important is that your love for him 
And your will is more important than anything else in your life. And he says, love God with all your heart. If you love God with all your heart, how much does that leave for any competitors? None. I so, say, so, hey, there is no one we love more than God. Uh, there's nothing and no one that our top goal in life, the way I like to put it, is to know him, to love him, and to please him. Because that is God's top priority. And he said, then the second one from Leviticus 19 is similar. He says, the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting, in context, that verse says this. He says, when your neighbor hurts you, someone in Israel hurts you, uh, don't, uh, don't hold on to revenge. Don't bear a grudge. Let go. Forgive. He says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Really fits in with, with uh, Ephesians 4. But anyway, uh, he says the second's like it. So, but I want, what I want you to catch is what Jesus says next. Okay? He says, all the law and the prophets. So the law, the Torah, the first five books, and the prophets. Sometimes they'd separate the Old Testament into law and prophets. Sometimes they call it law, prophets, and writings. Here he's going to tell us the whole thing, the law and prophets. He says, all the law, the whole Bible, in other words, it hangs on these two commandments. I like to visualize this like as a weaver's beam. Imagine what happened if you're weaving something and you pull out the, the beam. Everything falls apart. Jesus says, everything else in the Bible is a footnote or an explanation of what it means to love God or love people. Uh, let me give you a great example. You think of the Ten Commandments, right? So let's, let's think of some of those. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't covet. Jesus, all those are is an explanation of what love looks like. Like we often, especially as younger believers or before we come to, we see them as restrictives, right? Oh, God, he's trying to kill our fun. We can't steal. We can't commit adultery. Got to stick with the same woman. How boring. Um, you can't kill someone. Are you kidding? You just cut me off. I want to kill him. Um, you know, so... Uh, you know, don't covet. Are you serious? I can't even want what he has. You know, so we look at it as restrictive. But what God is saying, no, these are protective. I'm just telling you what love looks like. If you love someone, you don't steal their stuff. If you love someone, you don't steal their spouse. If you love someone, you don't steal their life. And he said, if you love someone, you don't even want to steal their stuff Steal their spouse or steal their life. Because the moment you want to, it ruins the relationship. Like if we're in a relationship and you're like, man, I, I, I wish I could have your wife. <laughs> no, I mean, Mike, I've just been looking at uh, and your stuff. That Harley is so awesome. I just think about it all the time. I just wish I could have it. <laughs> like what does that do to the relationship, right? It's just it's something between us now. There's something that stands between us. And so Jesus, I mean, the, the laws, hey, the, so what Jesus is saying, I want you to catch this, is all the laws are that way. All the laws are just telling you, this is what love looks like. And so Jesus spells this out. Now, once you catch this, this is pivotal for understanding the apostle Paul. Because in his writings over and over again, he takes his readers his disciples, his churches, he takes them back to the school of Jesus. And so like there in your note sheet, I'm going to give you three examples. 
Romans 13, he writes to the church at Rome. He says, uh, let no debt remain outstanding uh, except the continuing debt to love one. It's like if you owe someone something, pay it back. The one exception is love. Just keep loving people. He says, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Just what Jesus said. The commandments, and here he's going to quote four of the Ten Commandments, the ones we just went over. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. We just talked about those. He said, and what, catch this, and whatever other commandment there may be is summed up in this one rule, one rule that rules them all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. See? Let's go back to the school of Jesus, Roman Christians. Let's go back to the school of Jesus. Uh, Galatians. Galatians. Let's go back. Galatian Christians uh, and the province. Let's go back to the school of Jesus. Let's go with me back to the classroom. Chapter 5. Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Huh? Next one, he's writing to young Timothy, who's a pastor over at Ephesus, by the way. Um, and he says, Timothy, the goal of this command, in other words, our, our whole teaching, our message, the goal of this command is love. He says, that's the goal. All this teaching we're doing for people, all this instruction, this encouragement, this challenging, the goal is love. And he says, but, it's, but he says, love comes from a pure heart. And love comes from a good conscience, doing the right thing. Love comes from a sincere faith. So that's why we teach about faith, and that's why we teach about uh, a, 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 doing the right thing, and that's why we teach, because that's where love comes. Like you can't have love and have insincere faith. You can't have love and have uh, an unrighteous life. And so we teach about these things, but the ultimate goal is love. And so it helps us understand there, here in Ephesians, why Paul, after giving all these examples, you've got to rethink your life. You've got to enter the school of Jesus. You have to put off and put on to so be transformed. Here's six examples. He sums up and says, basically, bottom line, live a life of love. So what I want you to catch, as followers of Jesus, in one sense, life becomes very simple. The one question we ask if we want to live an epic life is what would love do in this situation? What does it look like to love God or love people in this situation? And the Bible is there to spell it out to help us understand that. And catch us, it's not always easy to know, is it? You know, when your son-in-law, let me, it's not a, this is not a, let me change the illustration. <laughs> Some of you think it's really about one of my son-in-laws. It's not. When your daughter-in-law, I don't have any. When your daughter-in-law comes and asks you to bail them out with the rent for the eighth time, it's hard to know what love is, is to do, right? Do you meet the need or are you enabling her? Like when your son calls you from, from jail the third time, do you, do you bail them out or, or not? Uh, when someone does something against you and hurts you, do you need to just let it go or do you need to go and have a conversation? So it's not always easy to figure out what love would do. But it's simple in the sense that this is our calling. We love God. We love people. That's what we do. We're followers of Jesus. We love God. We love people. 
And that is our path to the epic life. You know? So there's some things that are pretty much for sure are not loving God or loving people, right? Like when someone cuts us off on the freeway and we tailgate them. <laughs> hey, is there anyone want to say, yeah, that really is loving, you know? It's amazing. We can irrationalize it. Someone needs to let that guy know. <laughs> this is not okay, and I really am. I'm looking out for his best interests. But. <laughs> All right. So I want you to catch this, drill down on this. As followers, of, as a church, as a church at Rocky Peak, there is one calling on our life. There is one rule above all rules. There is one ethic for the Christ follower, and it's always the ethic of love. Always. What would love do in this situation? Paul says you want to follow Jesus, you want to live a life worthy of your calling, you want to live big, go large, live a life of love. Imitate your father, follow your big brother, lay down your lives, live a life of love. And so what we're going to do the next, you know, after Easter, the next seven weeks, we're going to unpack this, all right? And like week by week, it's been great. I can't wait. It's been really fun, really practical. Uh, I think we've been very helpful. I'm very excited about it. But today, I want to end with one question to get us ready, all right? So here we go. There you know, she epic, the question. It's not an easy question. You're going to have to think about it. And the question is, are you ready to change? Are you ready? We're about to enter in this series after Easter. It's going to be good. It's going to be big. It's going to be large. It's going to be challenging. Are you ready to change? Say, change what? Change your wardrobe. Paul says we're going to put off the old. We're going to put on the new. We're going to clean out our spiritual closets. We're going to go to our spiritual closet. We're going to gather all those old clothes one week at a time, and we're going to take them out, and we're going to throw them away, and we're going to take this new wardrobe, and we're going to, put, we're going to start putting it on. And the question is, are you ready to change your wardrobe? And can I tell you something? This is not going to be easy. Have you ever had a favorite pair of old shoes? They look awful. They are beat up. They've got, have you ever had like a favorite old robe? It's tattered. It looks like hell. Your wife hates it. But you've had this since college. And that stain came from that game. And this stain came from, you know. You have an old jacket, right? It's just like, it's holes in it. But it just it fits so good. On the opposite side, you get that new pair of shoes. They don't fit like my old boots. Right? It kind of rubs me a little bit. And they go back to the old ones. And this is exactly how it's going to be. As we're going to go through week by week, and for some of you, here's what's going to happen. Yo, I'm ready to change. Yeah, I'm ready to change. Pass me those new shoes. 
and you're going to wear them about one week, and you go, give me back those old ones. Where's those old slippers? Those were perfect. What do you mean you throw them out? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like this. It's going it's to sound really good to get rid of your anger until you're angry. It is going to sound so good to build others up with your words until your low-life boss does that thing again. <laughs> it is going to be so good to have a heart like Jesus and get, become more generous and give to those who are going through hard times. It's going to be so good until there's someone in your life group who actually needs help. Like, oh, really? I was planning on buying some of that money. Right? Where are those old slippers? I don't want those old slippers. Right? It's going to sound really good to learn how to forgive and to be truly free of all that anger and bitterness we've held on to for years. It's going to, feel, it's going to sound so good until you see that person again. Can't believe what they did. Sorry. Sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have swore, but I just, I just hate them. I hate them. Are you with me here? Are you with me? The, the new clothes. The new clothes look really good on the rack. Have you ever had something you go, that looks awesome? And you put it on and you're like, what happened? It looks so big. Makes me look fat. It doesn't make you look fat. You are fat. You know? So we try on the new clothes. It sounds really good on the rack. We put them on in life. And it's going to be really tempting to turn those clothes back in. You know, like Costco, they take anything back. Right? <laughs> it's like five years ago, it stained. But, you know, it just didn't really work for me. Okay, we'll take it back. Right? And so I'm asking you, are you ready to change? Because here's the thing. If you're going to live an epic life, if you're going to live a life worthy of the calling, if you're going to be transformed to become like you're created to be, you have to rethink the way you do relationships. It is not optional equipment on the spiritual life. There is no maturity without relational maturity. So Jesus will help you. He'll walk you through. He'll be your tutor. The Holy Spirit will tutor you. But you have to be willing to change. And if you're not willing to change, what's going to happen one day is you're going to look in that mirror and you're going to look at those old tattered clothes that are so ugly. And you're going to ask yourself, where did I go wrong? And the answer is, Back it up a long time ago. And it, you went wrong when you, instead of wearing the new shoes, you took them off because they were uncomfortable. Are, are you with me? Are you with me? And so the question is, really for all of us, hey, 
it is so, it's going to be so easy over the next eight weeks. It's going to be so easy to ignore. It's going to be so easy to rationalize. It's going to be so easy to pretend. I don't have an anger problem. Well, you might want to let your face know. Because <laughs> it looks like a vein is about to blow. Right? It's so easy to defend. Well, sure, I attack, but if you knew what they did to me, right? And if we do that, we might as well sign up right now for a mediocre life because we're not going to be transformed. We're not going to change. We're not going to be like Jesus. We're not going to live epic lives. It's impossible to become spiritually mature without becoming relationally mature. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we... uh, Gosh, I just love your word. It is just so powerful and so profound and so life-giving. And God, we, we're about, maybe not next week, Easter, we'll do something else, but we're about to go into this incredible part of this book where Paul gets so practical and talks about what does it look like to, to really live out an epic life. I pray you'd give us faith and courage. Faith to trust that you know better than we do. Courage to make those tough decisions that are going to be required of us so that eight weeks from now, we would truly be different people because we've been here, because we've been in the school of Jesus. God, our prayer is that you would release your love in our life in a new way. We would truly learn to live a life of love. We pray that your love would, like the song sings, would burn like fire inside of us. It would burn away. All that is dross and that we would be transformed. And so we pray now as we, we worship, as we sing, as we bring our offerings, you would speak to us in Jesus' name. A love that burns like fire, uh, where you lead, I will follow. Uh, this is where he's calling us, to, to follow. So he set the pace, uh, living a life of love, uh, living a life of sacrificial love for us. And so he calls us, hey, let's time to grow up. Let's be like our father. Let's imitate our father. Let's uh, be like our big brother. Let's walk in this way of love. And so that's his calling. And uh, I pray that this week that God will show you some steps that you can take. And we can all get ready for what he's going to do in a couple weeks as we begin really unpacking what does it look like to live a life of love. in some really practical ways. I want to remind you of a couple things. After this service, don't forget that we always have, sometimes I mention it, sometimes I don't, but we always have a prayer team that's over here to my right. And they would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. And so uh, it's always available. Uh, secondly, um, one way that we can live out a life of love, you know, this, this next weekend is going to be fantastic. I mean, it's Easter, right? It's the day we celebrate the resurrection, the beginning of the new creations and the new, the new earth, that the firstborn from the dead, as he is, so we will be. New bodies, new creation coming. And uh, I'm so excited about that, but I'm really excited about the service. I I feel like God has, uh, has just put together really uh, as much or more so than normal. Just kind of a, you sense his hand on this. And here's the reason I'm sharing it with you is that uh, there may be someone in your life that God wants you to invite this week. And I can guarantee you next week we're going to share the message of Jesus. You know, we're going to share that. Uh, a new relationship with God, a new power to live, a new future. Uh, it all happens because of the resurrection. And so... There, if there's someone in your life that this week, I just would you just be on high alert? Would you would you um, would you just be say, Lord, just speak to me this week? If there's anyone in my life that you want me to invite, that's why we give you these invite cards. Remember, next week, as Neil said on Saturday night, while well, the four and the six, you can come to either one. 
Uh, if it doesn't matter to you, I hope half we go to one, half the other, because I'd love your energy spread between those two services. They're going to be great, uh, great times, but um, man, I just, I don't want to miss it, right? I don't want to miss there's someone in our life that God's already working on, maybe you've even been praying for, and we're just slow on the draw. You know, those moments come up where you have a, have a moment to say, hey, have you thought of where you're going to church? Have, hey, you're going anywhere for Easter? We're at some great time. Uh, we could do that. We go out to dinner, whatever the thing is. You have your invite card ready to go. Hey, I happen to have one. And I just, uh, I just want to ask you to be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit because we're talking about people's destinies here, eternal destinies. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, you know, are you doing anything? Would you like to come and just try it out? You know, I would. And they're going to meet the Lord. They're going to meet the Lord. The whole life is going to be changed. And uh, you saw that at baptisms a few weeks ago. People that just came, you know, started this series in January. They've come to Christ. Their whole life has been changed. And that's what we're about as a church, right? Unleashing the movement. And so um, I'm not trying to put something on you false, you know, not from the Lord. I'm not saying you have to do it. What I'm saying is, would you just not grieve the Spirit? Would you just be open? Say, God, is there anyone in my life? Take some extra ones. They're out at the starting point. And just be available unless the Lord wants to use you this week. Amen? And then we're going to come back next week, and we are going to have a raucous time celebrating the greatest event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus. (laughs) So have a great week, and I'll see you next weekend, either four or six. God bless.